0: 1 Kings chapter 11. I will read for us the first eight verses. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father." For Solomon went after Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Adamites. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. So he did all his... and so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. Very somber message today is not a very happy one. But I think it is a good warning for, for us who might be in danger of following in the footsteps of Solomon. And what we have read here is a story of the wisest man in the world who, have, who has fallen into the trap of the enemy. Now, how did this happen? How can the wisest man on the earth? And it's not even wisdom that came from within. This was the wisdom that was bestowed upon him from heaven. This was God's wisdom. So how can someone who has acquired the wisdom of God fall so deep into sin to be able to worship other gods? And this raises the question, how dangerous is sin? I think many times as believers, we underestimate the the power of, of This thing called sin. And many of us, we we flirt with it. Very much like Solomon did. Sin is a very deadly, deadly entity. Where do we start off the story of Solomon in chapter 11? He has reached... um, a little towards the latter part of his, his life. And he has acquired for himself many women. And it says that he acquired for himself 700 wives. 700 wives and 300 concubines. That is a lot of women. Imagine doing shopping for these many women. But for Solomon, who had all the wealth in the world, it wasn't an issue for him. But these were wives from various nations surrounding Israel. And we can see the nations in which he, he, he uh, went into a marriage contract with. The Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. And these were uh, tribes in the, this, the region of Canaan. Surrounding Jerusalem. Now, what is so odd is that Solomon, who had the wisdom of God himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, broke a simple law, a simple commandment given to the people of Israel. It says, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Deuteronomy 7, 14. It's explicit in the Torah. But what we see, he goes even beyond this. Beyond just marrying uh, women that are outside Uh, the Israelite race. In Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 17, God explicitly commands the Israelite kings not to acquire for themselves horses. Along with many wives, he shall not acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So in God's eyes, an Israelite king was supposed to have moderate wealth. One wife, and he was not to have the the luxurious things like horses and chariots, like the Egyptians had. But for what reason? And I think it's very clear. I don't think God was a racist But he states explicitly because they will turn your heart after their gods. Imagine that. God knew exactly what would happen if if a believer in God were to join in union with someone who was not a believer. They're playing a very dangerous game here. I think many of us, I think we can relate to Solomon in a way. I know our society can for sure. Who make light of sin. Who see the explicit commands of God and turn the other way. They know what is right and wrong. But they follow after the passions of their fallen heart. They are proud of their sin. They are proud of their abomination towards God. You know, in many communities in America and actually around the world, they are celebrating Pride Day along with Father's Day. They put Pride Day um, on top of uh, Father's Day. And I think, you know, this month is Pride Month. People who are prideful in their sin. When the Lord God has stated explicitly that that is a direct offense to the God of the universe. And these people who take pride in it are playing Russian roulette with their souls. I truly fear for you know, the, the, the younger generation, the next generation after us. Just hearing what they are bombarded with by society. I mean, I just heard that as young as uh, primary school, elementary students are being taught LGBT inclusion programs what it means to be gay. So instead of learning basic skills like math, science, and history, they're being taught what social justice is and which side to fight for in the social justice agenda. We live in a day and age where abortion is not only accepted, but celebrated as the epitome of human freedom and expression. Where have we gone wrong as a nation? Where have we gone wrong as a people? What is keeping God from striking us down or wiping us all like he did in the days of Noah? or oh, the patience of god to endure the sins that are being committed every second on this earth but it can be more on a more personal level how about us what sin has penetrated through the crevice of our heart and made its home in us Maybe the love of money. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe lust for power. Whatever it may be. These things that that the Lord detests, we have befriended. And what is scary is that Christians will do theological gymnastics to justify their sins. We have to read the Word of God for what it is. And as believers in this God, we have to follow the decrees of the Lord. And this is something that Solomon did not do. This is a testament to... Of how powerful sin is in the life of a human being? That the wisdom of God could not save Solomon from falling into the trap of Satan. So if Solomon, the wisest man in the world, could not be saved from this trap, what makes you think that we are in? situation we need to be alert we need to be watchful and Solomon it says in the word of God followed after these various gods and we have the big name gods like Asherah Canaanite goddess of fertility she's a fertility goddess and how do you worship this goddess is by of course engaging in sexual relations. The goddess of sex. What a more fitting god for to fit Solomon's taste. And we could tell he loved women. We also see Molech. Molech is an ancient Mesopotamian god who required human sacrifices. And tradition has it that the the parents actually would offer their own children to be burned alive in the bronze statue of, of Molech to appease his anger against them. These were the gods that Solomon sought after because of his wives, because he left an open door for the foreign women to come in and, pe- and penetrate through his heart. And I think for us, we are in danger of worshiping strange and foreign gods. And it doesn't look like the gods that Solomon worshipped. These, the, these are not like the ones made by uh, human hands and uh, made of wood and, and gold. I think these idols come in form of of our own sinful desires. And they reside in our heart. As I said before, putting our significant other above God is our idol. Seeking money, even our own family. The sacrifice that parents undergo for their, their their wife, husband, and their own children. How many of them have that same drive and passion for, for God? So how does Solomon fall so deep into this sin of turning away from worshiping God and God alone to all these foreign idols. It is because he started small. He first acquired much wealth and then it was one wife after the next. I don't think it was 700 women at one time. It was one after the next, which, and what it did was chip away at his conscience, where he was desensitized to the sin. And much like a frog sitting in boiling water, he didn't know what hit him. So once we let Small sins, permissible to our standards. It leaves the door open for the bigger sins. And if we are not mindful of this, it will lead us to a place where Solomon was. January 28, 1986, NASA launched its uh, space orbiter. Space Shuttle Challenger is what it was called. And there was always pressure by NASA to, to launch on the date planned because it, it was a lot of money to, to launch. But there was controversy surrounding this particular launch because the engineers showed, so, showed concern about the very few tests done for this particular shuttle. And in particular, one item of concern was something called the O-ring. It's a circular ring, much like a washer made of of rubber. It's very close to rubber, rubber material. And it was used as a sealant for the rocket boosters to trap in the gas. And the engineers told the high officials in NASA, well, you know, we haven't tested these O-rings and its durability in extremely cold weather, the weather that would mimic, you know, the, temp- the really low temperatures in space. But because of the pressure, again, to launch on date, to launch on time, they went ahead with the launch. What happened? Well, they launched. And within 73 seconds, the world saw the Challenger explode in the air. And it killed seven crew members inside. And after all the investigation, what did they find out as the cause of the explosion? It was sure enough the eroded o ring. It could not withstand the cold weather, it became brittle. And it didn't do its job in trapping in the gas. And so gas seeped out from the booster hole. And then it mixed the hot gas mixed with the cold temperature of the tank that carried inside of the tank liquid, nitrogen, and hydrogen. And then it exploded. That little piece, and of course there were a number of them, I think four or five, but they make up like 2 to 3% of the shuttle. It's not a very big piece. But something that small led to the ultimate demise and destruction of the Challenger. Allowing one ounce of sin to invade our lives can potentially lead to our downfall. We have to heed the warnings of Scripture because sin is a dangerous thing. It will seek and destroy. I'm reminded of what the English Puritan preacher said about sin. Sin has the devil for its father, shame for its companion, and death for its wages You guys remember what God told Cain in Genesis 4, 7. God told Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Sin personified." Sin, given human-like characters, it has a desire to overtake its host. Sin is crouching at the door. We give sin any opportunity, it will take it. Many of us sitting here who, who compromise the faith and justify it is allowing sin to enter into the chambers of your heart. And it will do its job in destroying the soul, little by little. So Solomon, justifying the little sins, you can imagine what he was thinking. It's just money. I know the the king, I know God said a king should not have excessive gold and silver. But you know what? I'm going to give much of it to God. Or oh, we need it for backup. What is another wife? What's one more wife? And then once you get past 10 wives, what's a hundred wives? He was collecting wives like baseball cards. Arthur Pearson, 19th-century Baptist preacher. He gives the anecdote. What is the answer? How do we defend ourselves from sin? And yes, we fall in the danger of of the pitfalls of sin. Though Christ has overcome sin itself, we are still in the flesh. We walk in the flesh. And because of that, we are always in danger of falling into sin. Pastor said this by faith we are taken into Christ, made at once safe from holy wrath against sin, and kept safe from all perils and penalties. He, our divine Redeemer, becomes to us the new sphere of harmony and unity with God and His law, with His life and His holiness. What is the answer? We don't want to fall following the footsteps of Solomon. We cannot be so focused on guarding ourselves from sin. Rather, our attention has to be on Christ himself. As believers in Jesus Christ, we must train the eyes of our heart to be fixated on the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when your eyes rest on Christ, who has conquered death and sin, who holds the keys to Hades and death, we are then able to adopt a life of righteousness and holiness. It is then and only then the process of sanctification begins to take place. It is only then that we could look at sin and see it as a defeated foe. You know, the word of God says that his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. I'm sure in the midst of all his worshiping the various idols, he was still worshiping God. Because his heart was not wholly devoted to, to God like his father David. So along with Yahweh, he was worshiping these other gods, which is unacceptable to the eyes of the Lord. Our heart has to be fully devoted to God. We cannot, our heart cannot serve two masters. We live in a day and age where many of the churchgoers are just bipolar people. Devoted to the Lord inside the doors of church but once they go out they are like the pagans. They live like the rest of, of the world. And that is unacceptable to the Lord. Our heart needs to be wholly devoted to Him. So the eyes of our heart Wholly devoted and fixated upon Christ Himself. So my challenge to you guys is this. Seek the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. Do not be divided. In your passions. And we will see this theme reoccurring in the book of 1 Kings. If God is God, then we worship Him wholly. We cannot have our cake and eat it too. We cannot have one foot in the heavenly realm and the other foot in the earthly realm when we keep our eyes on Christ we will be able to overcome sin (coughs) we're going to sing the last song I pray that the story of Solomon can just be a somber reminder for you of what can happen with the heart that is divided, with the heart that leaves an open door to sin. A heart that justifies sin under the banner of grace. Let us shut the door on sin, where sin is crouching at our door. And let us keep our eyes (coughs) focused on him who has conquered death and sin.